0: It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan.
1: Galileo once said, All truths are easy to understand once they're discovered. The point is to discover them. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary, as we'll look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective, and joining me, as always, is Jonathan, my co-host for more than two decades. This podcast
2: centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone.
1: So, Jonathan, what is our topic for today's episode?
2: Well, Rick, our question is, ghosts, reincarnation, and humanity. What's real? Part one. Our theme text is found in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 14 and 15. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness,
1: whose end will be according to their deeds. Okay, so ghosts, reincarnation, and humanity, what's real? Coming up... In today's podcast, Ghosts, Demons, and the Underworld, how do we know what to be legitimately afraid of and what look to look at as imagination? It all starts with understanding about being dead, and that comes up in about 15 minutes. King Saul of the Old Testament had Samuel the prophet appear to him from the dead. Was this real, or was it evil spirits? We'll talk about this and what it means to us, that comes in about 30 minutes, and finally, So what do demons actually do? What can't they do? Find out how the Bible guides us on this in about 45 minutes. But first, let's find a good place to start. Are ghosts real? Is reincarnation a legitimate process in the patterns of life? For billions of people in our world today, the answer to one or both of these questions is a resounding yes. It has to do with the mystery of what happens after we die. Life is precious, and because we cannot physically see what happens after death, humanity longs for an answer to our mortality. For all the ages that humanity has existed, we found explanations to bridge the gap between what we know and what science cannot confirm. For many, there is what they consider substantial evidence in defense of these beliefs. So, is there a way to know the truth about these things? As Christians, the best we can do is use the Bible as our basis and, to the best of our ability, address what is brought forth as evidence with our clearest thinking.
2: Rick, our clearest thinking begins at the beginning, long
1: before there were any preconceived ideas about life, death, and the hereafter. Okay, so we have to begin at the beginning. So we're going to start with just Adam, Eve, and the named animals all in the Garden of Eden. So Jonathan, let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, because this is the beginning. And like you said, this is long before any preconceived notions about what life and death actually look at look like. Go ahead.
2: God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and
1: over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay, now Adam and Eve had not yet become parents, okay? This is right at the beginning. And they, so they therefore hadn't completed the blessing that God had given them, be fruitful and multiply, or their purpose to, to fill the earth.
2: Rick as we were preparing for this podcast you shared with me something your wife Trisha mentioned that I thought was fascinating you know can you share that thought with us now especially after we just read about God's creation
1: so as as, as Christians you know we, we look at God's creation and God creating humanity and that means that we don't think that humanity evolved from something else now it's a subject for a different podcast and we've got done we've examined that several times already but the idea is we're talking about Uh, uh, god's creation and we're also going to be talking about reincarnation actually part two of this series will be dealing with reincarnation today we're really dealing with ghosts but trish trish said something to me interesting she said you know what you can't believe in evolution and reincarnation at the same time i looked at her i said well why not she said well because evolution is this you know this this growth and this survival of the fittest and reincarnation is this recycling of life the two don't mix they just don't mix. So I thought it was a really interesting sidelight to say, hey, let's think about what makes our beliefs go, and if they're inconsistent, we have to say, hey, something's wrong with this. So it is a really, really interesting thought. Okay, back to Adam and Eve. God allowed them to be tested as the responsibilities would only grow with time. Remember They were blessed, they were given things, but they were tested before they were given all of their blessings. Satan had already revolted on his own, and then sought to get humanity to follow him in his rebellion. And we see that very subtly, very craftily in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. We'll take it in a few pieces.
2: Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord our God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said
1: you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Okay, so he says, okay, has God not said you shall eat from any tree of the garden? Now, Jonathan, listen, okay, (laughs) here's a problem, because he is quoting part of what God said, but not all of it. And you know what? Doesn't matter what side of what issue you're on today, the media does the same thing. They'll quote part of a statement and not finish it. And that's exactly what Satan did. So, what the media does today, again, doesn't matter which side you're on, it, it happens on, in all cases. What they're doing is satanic because he did it first. Just wanted to throw that out there. Okay, he quotes part of what God's truth was. Let's continue.
2: The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it,
1: or you will die. So she has the right answer, like she finishes what Satan didn't say. So now he's got to come up with another way to deceive her. And he doesn't let it bother her. He goes on, and here's where the lie begins.
2: The serpent said to the woman,
1: you surely
2: will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, Rick, this was the first recorded lie involving humanity. Here is
1: where Satan earned his name as the father of lies. That's right. You know what? He was the very first one, and forever and ever and ever he gets that title as the father of lies. That's not a good title, incidentally, if you hadn't figured that out already. All right, so this is a lie. Now, what does that mean? We're going to develop that in just a moment. But let's, we're, we're, Jonathan, we're going to go through a series of soundbites from Vox, V-O-X, uh, why people think they see ghosts. Because we're going to talk about ghosts today, but in a very, hopefully, scientific perspective. And so this is a, a, an explanation of the idea of ghosts, and it, it's really fascinating how it breaks things down. So let's just listen to the beginning of, of this understanding of why people, they th- think they see ghosts. If you believe the dead can return to haunt the living, you're not alone. According to one
3: poll, 45% of Americans believe in ghosts and 28% claim to actually have seen a ghost. They show up in our movies, I see dead people. books, and Bone Thugs and Harmony music videos. As far back as we can trace human life, there's evidence that almost every culture has expressed curiosity about what comes after. Many people believe in them, but is there actually any proof that ghosts exist? I went to Buffalo, New York to talk to Joe Nickel, a paranormal investigator who's been trying to answer that question for almost 50 years.
4: I'm the world's only full-time, salaried, professional, science-based paranormal investigator. I'm looking to explain a case, not debunk it, not promote it, explain it.
1: And you know, it's interesting. He's looking just for explanation. How do you explain it? And he's trying to be very, very down the middle of the road. Let's see what the explanation is. And we'll hear some of his uh, research as we go through the podcast. So, now back to Satan and the lie. Satan lied by telling Eve that she would not die, okay? Because... It was a lie. God said you would. He said you wouldn't. He lied, but he couched that lie in a bed of truth by saying their eyes would be open and they would be like God. So, you know, they would be like God because they would know good and evil. Satan also knew good and evil because God says, you know, they're going to be like us. And that's where where the, where the penalty comes. So Satan also knew good and evil and he chose evil. He's looking for them to do the same thing. So how did Eve react and then Adam react? Genesis 3, 6 and 7. When the woman
2: saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Have we, Rick, taken this lie of Satan and mainstreamed it? Yes. This thought process goes as far back in history to Egypt. They buried the pharaohs with items they could use in their so-called afterlife.
1: Yeah, they did. And and this has become very commonplace. And in many, many, many cultures, we have this sense of afterlife. And you know, and and the problem is you don't know what happens after you die. And so it's it's kind of a human mystery. And that gives you a kind of a convenient answer. But it's interesting to look at the creation account because there is very black and white conversation here. There's no mystical middle road. God says you, you sin and you're going to die. Okay, so let's look at now the full consequence of disobedience for, Adam and disobedience for Adam because he is the father of us all. So what is the full consequence? Well, God states it to him in Genesis 3, 17 through 19.
2: Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field.
1: Okay, so this first part of the curse is the ground is cursed. The garden was perfect. You were to just work work it. Now you're going to have to till it and make the ground produce what you need it to produce so you can survive. So that's the first part. What's the second part? By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return
2: to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return.
1: Okay. You are dust and to dust you shall return. Folks, listen carefully to what God is saying here to Adam. He's saying, so you... Mankind, because Adam is representative of every human here, so you, mankind, will return to the elements. Not just your body, you. Death is clearly defined here. God is saying that death is simply going back to the pre-life state, the absence of life. That's where man started. God built life out of elements, and he's saying you're going back to that deconstructed state of being. How clear can it be? This is plain and simple. It is. It is. And that's the thing that we need to understand. This is very straightforward truth as far as Scripture goes. So, Jonathan, each time we make a point, we've got a ghosts and the grave truth uh, uh, culmination of that point. So what's what's our conclusion up to this point so far? The Bible begins with
2: clear and emphatic statements of life and death. Dying meant Adam would return to the utterly lifeless state he came from. Any other interpretation of this is believing Satan and not God. Well, Rick, I guess it
1: it comes down to this. Choose who you believe. God. Or Satan. Yeah, take your time with that. No, don't take your time with that. (laughs) It's easy. It's an easy choice. We need to make that choice. And look, we want to establish things according to Scripture. This is incredibly straightforward. God made man from the earth, and death brings him back to his origin.
2: The conclusion from the account of Adam's sin seems so easy. How can we be sure it is the truth?
0: We're rolling out new series content this year. Multiple episodes on one topic over consecutive weeks, such as What Do We Do When the Bible Seems to Contradict Itself? Go to ChristianQuestions.com and search for Bible Contradictions to see the full series of episodes and stay tuned for more new episodes and more new series releases at ChristianQuestions.com.
1: You know, the only way to be sure of the Adam account is to test it. If God's simple proclamation of life and death found in Genesis is true, it should be borne out in the rest of the Bible. That death is the absence of life should be obvious, verifiable, and easily proven throughout all of the Holy Text. So, Jonathan, that's where we need to go now. Is it provable, because it's such a simple statement throughout the rest of the Bible? Well, the Bible often states that that death is the absence of life. We're just going to touch on just a very few examples here. Let's start with Ecclesiastes 9 verses 4 and 5.
2: For whoever is joined with all the living, there is hope. Surely a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know they will die. But the dead do not know anything, nor have they any longer a
1: reward, for their memory is forgotten. So the idea that the dead don't know anything implies a lack of consciousness. That's what the implication is in Ecclesiastes 9. Uh, We'll go a few verses later in Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10.
2: Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. For there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. And Rick, we know sheol is translated the grave, hell, and the pit.
1: You know, that's interesting about that word sheol. It's translated the grave and hell in the Old Testament. You say, well, why is it translated the grave and hell? Because, you know, a lot of Christians believe hell is is a nasty place and the grave is a much better place. They come from the same word. And if you analyze the way it's translated, you find out it's translated hell when they're talking about bad people and the grave when they're talking about good people. But that is hypocritical because it's the same word with the same meaning plenty of other podcasts on that point so we're not going to d- delve into it further let's go to another scripture Jonathan Psalm 6 5 and this is about death being death for in death there is no remembrance of thee in the grave who shall give thee thanks you are out of it you're out of commission completely out of commission Psalm 115 verse 17
2: the dead do not praise the Lord nor do any go down into silence Rick, this just scratches the surface for scriptural proofs. Amen. There there are many other scriptures that will be listed in the bonus material of the CQ Rewind show notes found at ChristianQuestions.com.
1: Yeah, and, and Jonathan, we are we're we're kind of making we're using an assumption that there the scriptures prove death is death. We've proven it in several other podcasts. And that's why we're we're just taking a little bit of time here to say, okay, this is what it is. Refer to those if you want the exhaustive proof. So, folks, please avail yourself of that if this is a question for you. Let's go back to why people think they see ghosts. Again, we have this one individual who has spent years and years and years looking to explain the phenomenon of ghosts. Let's go to his take on what science says about this.
3: Nicol is a true renaissance man, drawing from a wide variety of disciplines for his cases.
4: I mean, at one time or another, I've used linguistic analysis. I've used blood pattern analysis, psychological insights. Nearly anything could be used if it would illuminate
3: a particular case. So in the hundreds of cases over his half-century of investigation, has he ever found anything that would make him believe in ghosts?
4: Not only have I never found a single case that I thought was proof of a ghost, neither has science. Not a single ghost or haunting has been authenticated by science.
1: That's a pretty powerful statement. That is. And, you know, but, you know, people sometimes they swear that no, 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 my experience shows me this or I felt that and it's unmistakable. We get that. Okay, we get that. We're going to expand on this and what it really means as we go through our scriptural proof and our discussion on the idea of life and death. And again, we're saying that the scriptures say death means an absence of life in all ways, okay? There is no disembodiment of the soul. It is that you have expired, you, because God said, you will return to the dust of the ground. From dust you came, and to dust you will return. Let's go to the New Testament for a few other proofs on this. Romans and the book of Corinthians, or both books of Corinthians, actually, both refer back to the original sentence for sin that was given in the garden that we just talked about. First, let's go to Romans Romans 6, 21-23.
2: Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God... You derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord.
1: Again, that's another very simple, very straightforward scriptural statement. The wages, the payment for sin, is death, not disembodiment, not torment, not torture. It's death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. So the comparison is between eternal death and eternal life. Thank God for Jesus, because the death sentence was ransomed away. Sin brings death. Even in his enlightened state, the Apostle Paul does not add to or change the simple Genesis equation. He simply refers back to it unequivocally. He does add that there's a miraculous hope beyond the grave, and as we mentioned, it's because of Jesus. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 21 and 22. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the
2: resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. So, Rick, what is the purpose of resurrecting the dead if they're not really dead? You know, Satan's lie has corrupted the truth of Christ resurrecting the dead. And to help uh, teach your children, check out our CQ Kids video, What is the Soul? You can find that at christianquestions.com slash YouTube.
1: Okay, so again, another scripture that gives us the sense of since by man came death, also by man, absolutely referring to Jesus, came the resurrection of the dead. And your question is a very legitimate one. Resurrection is the bringing back to life that which was dead. And when you think about it, you think of the raising of Lazarus. And that is a picture of resurrection okay? That's a picture of resurrection. The man was in his grave clothes. He was wrapped up, remember? And Jesus miraculously brings him back to life. He doesn't regather him. He brings him back to life. And that's through the power of God and the power of God only. Life and death. That's what the scriptures here uh, are showing us. And these like you said before these are just a few scriptures on the matter we we absolutely implore you to look into the many 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 other scriptures that can help to support this. So, having made this particular point, let's go back, let's pause. Let's go back to the ghost issue. Remember we're talking about the gentleman who's this who's looking for scientific understanding and in 50 years he says science just doesn't prove the existence of ghosts. So, Let's see another reason why he says this is a, a difficult thing for, you know, the the existence of ghosts.
3: Part of what makes it difficult to investigate is all the different ways people have defined ghosts. Books lying off of a shelf? Ghost. Orbs and photos? Ghost. Mysterious footsteps in the attic? Ghost. Patrick Swayze seductively helping you throw a vase? definitely ghost. All of the would-be evidence that ghosts exist consists of ambiguous photographs, videos, the next day his HDTV literally begins rocking violently from side to side all by itself, and first-hand accounts.
4: Even if it's during the day, there's this
0: eerie feeling that you get that there's someone there.
3: Which, while fun and spooky, are not exactly scientific proof. Ghost hunters often use gadgets such as EMF meters, a tool that measures electromagnetic fields, which ghosts can supposedly manipulate. But nobody's been able to explain exactly what the link is, and most scientists are pretty skeptical of this stuff. So there might not be any empirical scientific evidence that shows that ghosts exist, but that doesn't actually mean that you're crazy if you think you see one.
1: Okay, that's kind of an interesting twist right at the end. It's like, no, 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 but you're not crazy if you think you see one. So there's obviously more to this. And Rick, today, this lie, you shall
2: not surely die, is being proclaimed by churchianity. The thought is, when you die, you really don't die. Your soul goes either to a reward or a punishment. This is contrary to what God said in Genesis, and this is confirmed in Ezekiel 18.20. The soul that sinneth, it shall die.
1: You know, and that's interesting, because that particular verse in Ezekiel 18 is talking about a, a judgment, and it's talking about the result of judgment is actually death. And so you really do get a scriptural sense that it's different than maybe we have heard and maybe we have understood but we want to get the scriptural perspective. So, we've got this life and death thing and we're going to we're going to say okay, we we've talked about it, we put some scriptures in place. Let's move a little bit further now because you know the idea of ghosts is not just about life and death. There's a whole lot more involved. As thorough as the Bible is regarding the lifelessness of death, pagan nations absorbed the lie of Satan and we've already discussed that. And as a result, developed all kinds of pagan rituals. So let's take a look at, to just get a sense of the pagan rituals and how ancient they are, let's go all the way back to Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 to 12. This is God talking to Israel before entering the promised land.
2: When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations, There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his sons or his daughters pass through the fire, one who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who casts spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord, and because of these detestable things the Lord your God will drive them out
1: before you. So Jonathan, there's a lot of things listed here, and this is ancient, ancient history. These detestable things God calls them, divination, witchcraft, omens, sorcery, casting spells, mediums, spiritists, calling up the dead. He's listing all of these different activities and saying these are detestable. Do not, under any circumstances, allow any semblance of any of these things to be part of your life
2: rick is this saying that they are really talking to and calling up the dead we, we
1: just said the dead are dead yeah. w- why don't the scriptures correct the lie okay actually that's a good question one who calls up the dead we just said yeah, you can't do it, it is. okay we just said well good question i'm not going to answer it <laughs> because because in the next segment we're going to really deal with this in great detail because it is a big big point Okay, so hang on, we'll get to that in just a few minutes. The New Testament warnings focus us on having an awareness of Satan and his objectives. So in the Old Testament, it lists all these hideous things that you're not supposed to do. The New Testament goes about it from a slightly different perspective, but it's just as important. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12.
2: Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places.
1: Okay, so in the New Testament... Where, you know, in the Old Testament, it would say, stay away from these things, cast them out of the land. In the New Testament, because it's about spirituality, it's saying, arm yourselves with the armor of God. Because the battle that you fight is bigger than you are. And the weaponry you need has got to be bigger and stronger than you can even imagine. Because it's against rulers, powers, and world forces of this darkness and spiritual forces of wickedness. That's, Jonathan, We we can't stand up to that. That's bigger than we are. So, folks... The whole idea of the spiritism, the spirituality thing, and the ghost thing is, this is enormous in its power. Now, we keep saying there's no such thing as ghosts. Hang with us and see how this all comes together. But Jonathan, as we wrap up this segment, Ghosts and the Grave Truth.
2: While the Bible is specific regarding death being a lifeless state, it does not negate the rampant adoption of Satan's lie throughout cultures worldwide.
1: By perpetuating his lie, he keeps people from the truth. And that's what um, the father of lies is going to do. He's going to keep people from the truth. God's initial statement about the lifelessness of death is supported by the rest of the Bible. <clears throat> Are we surprised?
2: Wait a minute. Didn't King Saul talk to Samuel after Samuel had died? What's up with that?
1: <laughs>
0: If you love our podcast, show us some love on social media. Search for our handle, at CQ Bible Podcast, Or just search for Christian Questions on Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook, and Twitter. Now back to our discussion.
1: You know, as tragic as the King Saul story is, it's also incredibly educational. It shows us the positive, life-preserving power of obedience to God and the destructive power of disobedience. We pick up in the story, Saul, King Saul's story, after God has cast Saul off and Saul has descended into his own personal madness. And the situation here is war is brewing, okay? The arch enemy Philistines are 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 there, okay? So, before we get into Saul and what he does, let's go back to why people think they see ghosts. And now we're going to get into some of the practical scientific reasons that ghosts seem to quote appear or seem to make themselves known. This is fascinating stuff. There are plenty
3: of logical explanations for paranormal experiences. One is infrasound, a sound that falls below the audible 20 hertz frequency. Infrasound can be produced by many things, including severe weather, humpback whales, or certain machinery like engines or fans. Researchers have hypothesized that exposure to infrasound can induce feelings of depression, chills and the sense that somebody's presence is near you the sound can even
4: cause visual hallucinations at the frequency of 18 hertz it resonates with the structure of the human eyeball and if you have a sound that resonates with something material it'll make the material vibrate at that frequency and when that
1: happens to you your eye begins to see things that are in fact not there that's weird that is. You know, so a sound, what they're saying, this infrasound can actually create hallucination. So you think, man, how, how, these are parts of things that nobody ever thinks to, to talk about and look into, but they're realities. They're scientific realities that, that are, are proven in the biological structure of humanity. So keep that in mind. So let's go to the story of of, uh, Saul, because you said, you know, okay, what's up with that? (laughs) Okay, did Saul actually see Samuel call him up from the dead? Well, let's go to the account. 1 Samuel chapter 28, we're going to read verses 5 and 6, pause for a moment, then we're going to go to verses 8 through 10.
2: When Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Rick, King Saul at this point in his life was scared to death. It was overwhelming with, with the Pharisees. It's not that God is being cruel to him by not answering. This is a consequence of his disobedience.
1: Yeah, so the Philistines are lurking, and you're right, he is scared to Death And the interesting thing is the scripture tells us King Saul had all the proper methods of communication with God before him, and none of them worked. And like you said, well, why didn't they work? Well, because God re- had been removed from Saul, because Saul didn't want to obey God. He wanted what he wants. But he's still seeking God's direction, because he's so afraid. God's no longer with him, but Saul wants an answer at any cost. And this is why God had had already rejected him, what we're about to see. So what does Saul do? He arranges to go see the witch of Endor. So he goes to, arranges to go see a witch to get an answer for his question because God won't answer him. Think about how completely wrong that is based on what we already discussed. So let's go to, we're in 1 Samuel 28, verses eight through 10. Then
2: Saul disguised himself by putting on other clothes and went and he and two men with him And they came to the woman by night, and he said, Conjure up for me, please, and bring up for me whom I shall name to you. But the woman said to him, Behold, you know that Saul has what he has done, how he has cut off those who are mediums and spiritists from the land. Why are you then laying a snare for my life to bring about my death? Saul vowed to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, No punishment shall come upon you for this thing.
1: So Saul not only seeks out a witch, he vows to break the law that he himself was responsible and had proclaimed that he would uphold.
2: How awful is that? And, And the law says this in Exodus 22, verse 8, Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live.
1: So you have this thing, and you're saying, well, that's awfully cruel. Well, you know what? It also said that Saul had vanquished them from the land. He, he had put them out of the land. They did not belong in Israel because they were contrary. They were dealing with spiritual darkness, and Israel was to have nothing to do with spiritual darkness. So Saul goes to sources of spiritual darkness. Not a good plan, not a good idea ever under any circumstances, and Saul's condition is no excuse for doing what he did. What happens? Well, we're going to pause. Let's go back to the ghost thing, why people think they see ghosts, and another potential uh, reason, scientific methodology, that gives us a sense of potentially seeing or feeling the presence of a ghost. This experiment does highlight how manipulating
3: certain parts of your brain can produce what researcher Olaf Blank calls misperceived self-representation, which can easily be misconstrued as a ghostly presence. Sometimes even just a person's state of consciousness can make them feel or see presences.
4: We can actually have people see ghosts. And those, those tend to be waking dreams that occur in the, in the twilight between being fully asleep and fully awake. These kind of waking dreams can also be called
3: sleep paralysis, which about 8% of people experience at some point in their lifetime. You feel like you're awake, but you're unable to move your body and it's often accompanied by terrifying visuals like shadows, people, or even monsters, which, if you didn't know what was happening, would be easy to confuse for having seen a ghost.
1: You know, and, that, and that's interesting because you, you hear that and you think, okay, so you can, you can see why people would jump to such a conclusion. It, yeah, it makes sense. It does. It, it makes sense, and it's a scary thing. And you know, that's part of this, Jonathan, is that there's a lot of scariness that is unexplainable, and we jump to a conclusion that may be convenient, but it also may have a different, more logical, more sound explanation that we don't even look for because we figure we figured it out. Got to be careful with things like that because science is really a great tool to use to put all of this in order okay, let's go back to first samuel twenty eight Remember now Saul has gone to see a witch to get an answer about what he should do to lead god's people. I mean you can't even you can't even imagine well, you can because it actually happened, but how how completely wrong this is in terms of approach first samuel twenty eight eleven to fourteen
2: Then the woman said, "Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, "Bring up Samuel for me when the woman saw Samuel. She cried out with a loud voice, and the woman spoke to Saul, saying, "'Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul.' The king said to her, "'Do not be afraid, but what do you see?' And the woman said to Saul, "'I see a divine being coming up out of the earth.' He said to her, "'What is his form?' And she said, "'An old man is coming up, and he is wrapped with a robe.' And Saul knew that it was Samuel." and he bowed with his face to the ground and did homage. Well, Rick, how did the witch of Endor know it was King Saul who was speaking to her? Now, he was in disguise here.
1: Right, right. So what happens is... The, this this quote-unquote Samuel, and I put that in air quotes, and I'm doing it a lot, okay? <laughs> <laughs> uh, g- rises up from the earth, okay? So this is very dramatic. It, you know And first of all, the, the translation is horrible. It says, I see a divine being. That's not the word. The word is Elohim, which means a mighty one. It actually can be used to describe human beings. So let's just be clear on that. I see a mighty one coming up out of the earth. And thi- Jonathan, this was a manifestation. This was an evil spirit. Okay, and the evil spirit lets her know that it's Saul in front of her. So she knows it's Saul because the evil spirit lets her know. So we, we've got— Didn't he also give a clue on who he asked for? Yeah, yeah. Well, he <laughs> said, he said, you know, I'm looking for Samuel. And so now, so here, here's the thing. The witch fears for her life because her dark connections reveal Saul's identities. Okay, she's afraid now because she knows that she's actually talking to the king. So, Jonathan, three really important points. The witch sees a mighty one. Saul does not see it. Okay. She sees it. The scripture doesn't say Saul sees it. Okay, what, what's next?
2: She vaguely describes it, and Saul knows that it's
1: Samuel. It's interesting. Think about this. All she says, an old man wrapped with a robe. And Saul's conclusion is, that's Samuel! I know it! No, I'm I'm dramatizing it, okay? <laughs> but you think about it, and isn't that exactly what we do now? We get this one sense of one thing, and we suddenly put the entire conclusion in order because this one thing seems to make incredible sense. And w- Now, here's the next point, Jonathan. This is an, a big one.
2: The Old Testament had no possibility for anyone to become a spirit being. Now, let me read that again. Let, let's read that. The Old Testament had no possibility for anyone to become a spirit being. Not Samuel, not Abraham, no
1: one. In the Old Testament, no one was raised. Right, right. And how do we know that? John chapter 3, verses 13 to 15, the words of Jesus tell us this. And interestingly, it's talking about King David in this in this particular verse.
2: No one has ascended into heaven. But he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life.
1: Okay, so we know that nobody comes up from the grave. So what we see here is an issue where you've got this witch speaking with, and this is scary, Jonathan, and this is real. Uh, and this is something to always, 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 and if you didn't hear me, always avoid at every cost. She's dealing with, with, with spirit beings, and they're dark, and they're evil, and they have no good intention, even though they may appear to have one. And she is, you, you've made a connection with the darkness of the spirit world. You don't want to go there. Before we go further, just just one quick side point because I don't want the, the sleep paralysis that we talked about previously. Uh, my wife, Trish, dropped off a note. And I was going to mention this, but now that she gave me permission, I can. She says, <laughs> I can attest to seeing things in the space between awake and sleep. And I will tell you, I can attest that it happens because it's happened to my wife. It doesn't happen much anymore. But years ago, she would... Jonathan, she would wake up in the middle of the night and I'd be sound asleep. And she'd shake me and shake me and say, now look, there's a guy standing right over there. Tell me you see him. I know I'm awake. And I'd look at her and I'd start to laugh. I probably shouldn't have done that. But I'd say, <laughs> <No>. honey, <laughs> you're, you're dreaming. It's, she, no, I see him. I mean, it was so incredibly real. I know what it looks like when somebody has that utter conviction. And then, you know, after we calmed down a little bit, she kind of like, oh, yeah, wow, what happened here? But it can happen, okay? That sleep paralysis absolutely can happen. All right, that's out of the way. Back <laughs> to the story of Samuel, quote, being pulled up from some, the, the netherworld or something. This didn't really happen. But here's what, here's what it says, though. First Samuel 28, verse 15. Listen to the words. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? So, you know, it sound, kind of sounds like the so-called Samuel is miffed about being awakened from sleep. I don't know. Again, we have no evidence that Saul has even seen anything, but he did hear a voice. So how do we explain this, Jonathan? How do we explain that the scripture says, then Samuel said to Saul, and we're saying that wasn't Samuel? How do you how do you put that together?
2: Well, Rick, uh, I have another example uh, that we can find in the scriptures that shows A mistaken identity is found, and that's in Numbers 13, verse 33. In this context, Moses sent out 12 spies to report back to him about the land of Canaan and the people living there. Many spies reported that the people were too strong and mighty to attack, and they referred to some of them as being Nephilim, which means giants on the earth. Now, the fact is the Nephilim were all destroyed in the great flood, even though they called them Nephilim, does not mean they were Nephilim. It was Joshua who trusted in the Lord and said, we can take this promised land from our enemies. Nothing is too big for the Lord. So, Rick, they used a memory of what they knew and heard about, and they they put it on these people, but they weren't giants on the earth.
1: Right, so they weren't literally Nephilim, but they described them as such. Exactly. Exactly. The evil spirit wasn't really Samuel, but he was described as such. And it's interesting in this account that when, when Saul goes to this witch, he has two men with him. They're the witnesses. And I imagine—now, this is speculation, okay? But I imagine that they report back as to what happened. And in their minds, we saw Samuel. Or we, maybe we didn't see him, but we heard Samuel's voice talking to Saul. We were there. And that's how it got reported. The Bible isn't going to undo the report, just like it didn't undo the report of the Nephilim, but we use scriptural context to understand what's real and what's not, and just like the Nephilim weren't real in that scripture, Samuel is not real here. It is an evil spirit. So that's a really, really good example. But Saul, meanwhile, is utterly convinced he's speaking to the prophet. He's utterly blinded by his own ambition, his need, and he, and he describes to Samuel, quote Samuel, unquote Samuel, you know, the this, this, this spirit, his dilemma with the Philistines. And here's what the spirit, acting as Samuel, says to him, 1 Samuel 28, 16, and 17. Samuel says, "'Why then do you ask me, since
2: the Lord has departed from you and has become your adversary?' The Lord has done accordingly as he spoke through me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, to David.
1: So, you know, the, the, the spirit is posing that is posing as Samuel doesn't reveal anything new. But you know what this shows us, Jonathan? This shows us that spirits observe. They watch what goes on in life, and that's really important.
2: Well, think about this, Rick. Saul is literally receiving the consequences of his rejection of God through this witch.
1: He is. His life is drawing to an end as a result of this. He's been on this path, and this is the final straw of his incredible, incredible, incredible disobedience. Now, you said it earlier when we were talking about this account, he's scared to death because the Philistine army was overwhelming. Saul was now further from God than he had ever been before, and because he was seeking light from darkness. Think about that. He's seeking light from darkness. Never go down this road. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen 14 to 15 warns us about this. And no marvel,
2: for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works."
1: Satan poses as light. Why? Because that gets people to trust him. That's what he did in the garden when he had dark intention. That's what he does now. Never seek light out of darkness. What happens to Saul? The next day, he dies. First Chronicles 10.13 tells us,
2: So Saul died from his transgression, which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord, which he kept not. And also for asking counsel
1: of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it. So it's saying that it cost him his life. This was the final straw that cost him his life because he was so rebellious. So we have an unequivocal answer to the Saul slash dead Samuel encounter. Again, it was just an evil
2: spirit. Rick, how many people in our day go to get readings from satanic sources? Too many. One of our CQ volunteers shared this With us, uh, unfortunately, Um, the coronavirus hasn't stopped any interactions with the occult. Her client, along with his wife, had a palm reading last week, but instead of sitting in front of the fortune teller and showing their hands, the modern covert way is to conduct the reading over Zoom where the couple takes photos of their palms and emails them over in advance so the fortune teller can analyze them for a fee of $50 for 30 minutes.
1: How sad. Yeah, it is. It is because we are looking for answers for things that we're not sure about. And I get that. Humanity wants that. and But we can so easily be deceived by so many different kinds of things. We just have to be careful. So Jonathan, as we wrap this up, ghosts and the grave truth regarding the Samuel-Saul issue and what it means to us.
2: Saul's experience is exactly like the experiences of people who try to contact the dead today. A faint imagery, a resolute conclusion, and an acceptance as truth. The only problem is, the
1: dead are dead. And, you know, that's the reality according to Scripture, and we have to, as Christians, abide By the Word of God. See, examining this account reveals an ancient process of manipulation from dark spiritual sources, and they still do it.
2: So, the dead are dead, and evil spirits manipulate us to believe otherwise. How does this work?
0: Our team of volunteers are accomplishing amazing work every week as we release new audio, video, and web content, helping create the Christian Questions Multimedia Ministry. There are several ways you can get more involved in our not-for-profit mission. Click on Support CQ in our main menu on ChristianQuestions.com. You
1: know, we're fortunate that the Bible exposes enough of the history of fallen spiritual beings to arm us with awareness, Unfolding what condition these fallen angels are in helps us understand that they can and will influence our world to some degree. To be forewarned is to be forearmed.
2: Well, Rick, people tend to fill in the gap between what they know and what they hope.
1: Yeah, and that's such an important aspect of this. And once we, as we get into this next soundbite, it's again showing us that there is a gap, and, and sometimes that gap... It's conveniently filled with things that may not be true, but still may in some ways be comforting. Listen to this part of why people think they see ghosts. Another
3: possible explanation for ghostly sightings is grief. One study found that up to 60% of people that lose a spouse claim to see or hear their dead loved ones. In his book about hallucinations, neurologist Oliver Sacks said that seeing the face of a deceased loved one can actually help you cope with your grief.
4: This sort of hallucination is not frightening.
2: It's often very comforting. It seems to be part of the mourning process. And it it really, you know, a sudden hole has been left in one's life. And this helps helps it to heal over.
4: There is no question that most of the paranormal promotes something very positive. There are a few exceptions. But all have to do with our hopes and our fears. We're hopeful that ghosts exist because then we don't really die. Our loved ones are not gone from us.
1: You know, and that's an interesting point, that you get this sense of of acceptance like, well, okay, you move on to this or that. And, you know, for many of us, the idea of, okay, we keep saying that death is death, you know, and that's the end of it— until the resurrection, that is, you think, well, isn't that harsh? And the answer is no, because the very next thing you know is being raised, because there is no consciousness. So it's like being, you know, they use the phrase dead asleep. (laughs) You know, somebody's dead asleep, and you get that sense of the next thing they know, they wake up. If you've ever gone under anesthesia, that's what it's like. You go under, and then they're, they're shaking you to wake you up, and it's like, well, that was fast. Well, no, it may have been a couple hours. But, you know, so that's what we understand death to be. And by God's grace, there is a resurrection through Jesus. So let's talk now more about spirit beings. Let's focus in. Here are the consequences given to the spirit beings who followed Satan's rebellious footsteps. Now, these are serious consequences for serious rebellion. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. For if God spared not angels when they sinned, but cast them down
2: to Tartarus, and committed them to chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment.
1: Okay, cast them down to Tartaru. That's a strange thing. We're going to talk about that in a moment. These who sinned, these, these spirit beings who followed uh, Satan, were cast down and out of God's light, limiting their power and limiting their influence, but not removing all of their abilities. Well, Rick, why didn't God just
2: destroy them in this disobedience
1: scenario? Yeah, it's a it's a really important question because why didn't He just destroy Satan too? Right. You know. Right. Well, God always gives a perpetrator of evil a chance, and even if they don't take it, even if they are they're resigned to their their evil, like Satan is, for instance, their experience will be an eternal example for everyone else. So there is a a. Um, a value in allowing that to work through its entire process before God finally does destroy all evil. And make no mistake, he will destroy it. It will be destroyed. That is scriptural as well. But let's look again, this Tartaru thing. Jude chapter 1 verse 6 doesn't use the word, but it describes Tartaru. We're going to get into what that means in just a second. Messengers
2: also even them who had not kept their own principality but had forsaken their proper dwelling unto the judgment of the great day in perpetual
1: bonds under thick gloom hath he reserved. Boy, that sounds depressing, man. So, and that's describing Tartarus. So, so what is this Tartarus thing anyway? Is it a place? Is it a condition? Is it where demons live? Here's the thing. Tartarus often translated hell, sometimes translated Tartarus, uh, but it's only used that one time in 2 Peter 2.4 in the entire Bible. So you don't have a lot to go on, but here's the key. The word is a verb. It's not a noun, so it can't be a person, a place, or a thing. It's a verb that means it's an action. It's not a place, it's an action. So points on each of these scriptures, Jonathan, go ahead. Second
2: Peter 2.4 four. Sinful angels sent there chains of darkness, a condition of restraint reserved for judgment. And Jude 1.6, sinful agents forsook their proper rank, now in perpetual bonds, restrained in
1: darkness. So, this word is describing the fact of dark restraint. In other words, you're held out of the light, out of God's light, and you're restrained. It's the action of being restrained. It's not some location. Hey, you get to Tartaru on the on the, on the corner of Main and 2nd Avenue. It is the it is the, the the sense, the being, the the action of not being able to do what you normally could do. And the action of being stuck in darkness. It's an action word, not a word describing a place. These angels, they were fallen angels, were cast out of God's heavenly light into a condition of darkness and limitation. It's a condition. That's what it's talking about, a condition. Ghosts and the grave truth wrapping this little portion up, what is it?
2: God has severely stifled those spirit beings who rebelled against him. In this limited state, they are still capable of wreaking
1: havoc, but on a more limited scale. So this is also important. They still have some power, but is not nearly what they once had. They're restrained in darkness. They can see some things, Jonathan, but they can't see everything. There's definitely limitations to where they can go, what they can do, and, and the trouble that they can cause. But folks, make no mistake. If you look for them, you can find them. That is not ever, ever a wise, smart, spiritual, mature thing to do. So let's pause there for a second final soundbite, why people think they see ghosts, and it's just kind of putting it all together, giving us a sense of of the the idea of ghosts. And this, again, is an interesting thought.
4: I remember when my grandmother died and how much I did not want that to be the case. But the ghost um, idea, the idea that we just get up out of our bodies and continue on is powerful. Because who doesn't have an instance in which uh, he or she would say, I just wish I could have told my mother this one thing, or I wish my father knew I wasn't really mad at him that time. So ghosts may not actually exist, but
3: that doesn't mean that you might not see one.
1: So, you know, that gives us, I've never looked at it that way before with this compassion that, you know, it's kind of an extension of what we would like to to have, sometimes maybe an opportunity missed and so forth. But folks, be aware that God's plan gives us that opportunity because it has a resurrection for every man, woman, and child who ever lived. And if you didn't get to say the thing you wanted to say, you will. And that's the beauty of this. That's the beauty of Jesus coming as the ransom price.
2: Well, Rick, ghosts can be confusing for kids. Check out our CQ Kids video, Are Ghosts Real? which can be found at com slash YouTube.
1: Yeah, there's a lot that we need to understand. And again, folks, we have done several podcasts that deal with the whole spiritism, demon thing, and we're just touching on it today, but we would encourage you to go to those other podcasts that go deeply into the step-by-step of all of the conclusions that we're, we're talking about today. So... What happens is these once bright, shining sons of God are now followers of Satan, relegated to the shadows of earth, but still powerful and still influential. So, you know, what do they want with us? Well, let's kind of look at the kinds of things that demons, these fallen angels, because that's what they are. Demons are fallen angels, make no mistake. Uh, What can they do? Well, they can enter. Okay, now, what does it mean, enter? Like, you know, walk into your soul? Is that what it's talking about? What's the word mean, Jonathan?
2: Well, Rick, the first definition is to go out or come in, to enter. And second, metaphorically, of entrance into any condition, state
1: of things, society, employment. Okay, that doesn't help us much at all, now does it? (laughs) (laughs) So let's look at a scripture that uses that word in relation to Judas, in terms of his betrayal of Jesus. Luke 22, 3 and 4. Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was
2: one of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and the officers of the temple police about how he might betray him to them. And Rick, uh, Satan and his followers know our weaknesses and try to
1: take advantage of us and tempt us to sin. You know, and and we saw that earlier in Scripture, and it comes out again. See, Judas was not possessed by this evil, evil spirit. Rather, he allowed himself to be under the influence of Satan. The lesson, Satan's mere influence can lead to our betraying of our Lord. That's the lesson. So, again, never— ever, ever even entertain going down these roads. Please, please beware. You know, when Satan entered, it's like, you know, one of the definitions was entrance into, like, society or an employment. It's like there was an employment agreement between Judas and Satan, you know, this in, in a very figurative sense. Uh, Judas is now agreeing to, to operate along Satan's lines. And that's where he went, went, went bad, okay? That's what the betrayal was demons can also though make no mistake again they can possess and they can control and this is something they seem to crave and seem to something they seem to be able to do well okay there's the word the word for demon possession Jonathan what does it mean it means to be exercised by a demon and the lexicon says to be under the power of a demon and this is this is serious this is real I don't think it's very common but it can happen Matthew 15. 22 is an example of this. And
2: behold, a woman from Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil.
1: Okay. Possessed. Demons manipulate for their own pleasure. This woman was not a Jew, but came to Jesus, a Jew, in desperation, obviously hearing of his authority, and Jesus granted her request and removed that satanic, demonic influence from her daughter.
2: Well, Rick, you know, we can't tempt uh, these evil spirits and open ourselves up to this danger. This is real. Yeah. There's so many examples in the Bible. We need to stay away.
1: Yeah. And I don't know how how many times we can say it. Uh, We have to not think that we're so big and so strong that we can just go stand up to those things or we can go dabble with or we just don't want anything to do with it. God's Spirit is good with us and it helps us, but look, we can step outside of God's protection if we decide, all right? And that's really where we're going to get to in in just a, a moment here. You know, perhaps because of their dark restraints, demons have an unquenchable longing for any connection with the light of God's creation. And, and I say perhaps because this is there's a, some speculation here. Possession of a human might be, again, speculation, might be a way of fulfilling that longing of the light of God's creation. The reason we are kind of speculating along those lines is because the scripture Jesus described in Matthew 12, 43 to 45, he's describing the situation where a demon has possessed someone and then has been cast out. Now
2: when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it.
1: See, this again indicates their limited power. And this seems, Rick, to be kind of a restless,
2: unsettled state for this demon.
1: Yeah, notice it says, through waterless places, there's no refreshment, seeking rest. There, there, you, there's, there's, like you said, this restlessness, so they don't feel good in that state. So what happens? Let's continue with the scripture.
2: Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came, and when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. That is the way it will be also with this evil generation. Well, Rick, what does unoccupied,
1: swept, and put in
2: order mean
1: here? Okay, you know, and that's an important question. Um, It says, I'm going to go back to my house. In other words, I've been cast out. And the mind of the individual that it was cast out of is now swept and cleaned up. It's all cleaned up, but it's not occupied. We cannot simply walk away from something dark and evil without putting something good and wholesome in its place. If you leave the vacuum, guess what's going to get sucked right back in? The dark evil thought. I mean, when you're trying to break a bad habit, what do you do? You replace it with a good habit. When you're trying to eat better, you replace your snacking with healthier snacking. I mean, it's the same thing with spirituality. Our minds, when we're trying to get away from evil and darkness, have to have the replacement of goodness. Otherwise, otherwise, we're in trouble. So, permission to enter is only possible when we do not have righteousness occupying our minds. Fill your mind with goodness and godliness. Jonathan, our final ghosts and the grave truth point. Even
2: though God has limited demonic power, he has not altered the free will of humanity when they want to dabble in it. This is a tragic result of sin on every level.
1: So can you dabble with the demonic power? You absolutely can. Should you ever? Absolutely should not. Is God going to stop you? He's going to let you decide what you want to do. So folks, don't play games. This is not a game. It never has been a game. You are dealing with things that are much bigger. Than, and, and you know what, Jonathan, one last point, okay? I just want to make a point about witchcraft because we, we often in our world divide witchcraft into uh, uh, dark witchcraft and white witchcraft. And we say that white witchcraft, well, that's good because you know, you're only doing things to help people and wishing good things and casting good spells and all of that. Here's the problem. The only spiritual power available to humanity upon request is sourced in darkness and evil. Satan looks like, he poses as, an angel of light. So if you are involved in white witchcraft, don't fool yourself. If you are tapping into, you are, if you are to the point where you're tapping into spirituality, it is not good. It is darkness that poses as light and you're in deep, deep trouble because you're turning your mind over to things that you have no understanding of. Please, let us be wary of this. And Jonathan, I think we need to finish with a very strong, powerful scripture to get our stance. Ephesians 6, 10-13.
2: Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the
1: evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm." So, you know what folks, it is about standing firm. And You know, in our title, we talked about a reincarnation. That's coming next week. But here's the thing. The idea of ghosts and the idea of spirituality and seeking that, please, 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 please look at the scriptural references that show us life is life and death is death. It's a very simple equation according to God's own words. Let's take that, use it as a basis, and then be respectful of what God has given us and respectful of the ways he gives us to find hope in our grief to find ways to, 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 to cover those gaps in life that we may feel like we're missing. Spiritism is never, ever a good thing for any of us under any circumstances. Please use the spirit of a sound mind and God's grace to stay away from such things. Think about it. Listen, folks, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions and iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. And as we mentioned, coming up next week, Ghosts, Reincarnation, and Humanity, What's Real, Part 2, we're really going to focus on the reincarnation part, as well as the idea of spiritual signs and all of those things and what it really means. You don't want to miss it. So we'll talk to you next week.